Welcome to The 100 Podcast. It's Ed and Charlie here with you. Hope you're well. Today we're joined by Max Backhouse of the Manchester Originals. Max, firstly, thank you for joining us. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm getting excited for it now, uh, only being a week off. Yeah, it is really exciting. So Max, just for uh, those of us out there who maybe aren't aware of, of your work and what it is you do, can you just give us a little nutshell summary into your role? So I'm the lead analyst at both Manchester Originals and Lancashire. Um, I've been at Lancashire for uh, four seasons now. Previously done work with Brisbane Heat and uh, Worcestershire. Um, and my role at Manchester is about sorting data for the team uh, and video, opposition analysis, and uh, obviously part of draft strategy. Awesome. Now, obviously, the 100 is a brand new format of the game. We don't really know exactly how it's going to play out, and there's no existing data or numbers for it. So as an analyst, was it a challenge to apply the pre-existing data from T20 cricket and whatnot into this new format of the game? Yes and no. I think uh, going forward, part of the problem will probably actually be in the reverse because obviously at the moment, everything's in that nice T20 bracket and we can adjust that as to how we think um, the 100 is going to play out and and what we're looking for. Um, the struggle potentially going forward is going to be the mismatch of data where some of it is 100 data, some of it's T20 data. So when we're looking at players in a year or two's time and part of their data is over 100 balls, part is over 120 balls, that potentially is actually going to be a bigger challenge um, and how we separate those two out and and make our decisions from there. But at the moment, things aren't too bad. Obviously, you need to take a few things into account, but it can be done. Obviously, you've been involved with putting together the Manchester original squad, and it's very different, I guess, to the challenges you've previously faced with Lancashire and the fact that you are building a squad basically completely from scratch. How did yourself and the team at the originals kind of go about identifying talent and ensuring your draft strategy created a balanced lineup? Um, I think we were always looking to draft a team. So we had ideas of the certain way we'd like the team to be set up and things we were looking for. So it's basically about balancing that against the resources available at certain stages of the draft. So we were always looking to fill spots in a team and provide backups to that team as such. But obviously, you've then got to balance that if you're two-thirds of the way through a draft as to what resources are available in terms of a batting pool, in terms of a death bowler pool. And so you've kind of got to go for some things a little early and and load up on them, knowing that there's going to be uh, resources at the back end to fill other spots that you wanted. So we always had a track through both uh, the main draft and the redraft as to how we saw our team lining up, what permutations we had for which grounds we might play at or uh, or matchups in the opposition. And we always looked to have our replacement ready for that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And obviously you had a, a good start, obviously, with Joss Butler as your um, decree centric contractor player. Yeah, it's a useful one, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nice to be able to start something with Josh Butler, isn't it? But you also have, have Matt Parkinson as well. He's obviously impressed for England and Leighton. He's one of the best leg spinners out there. Was it easier to create the squad when you knew you had two players of that calibre already? 
Uh, yes, but I think obviously every team's got some serious talent behind it, uh, both in the icon players and the test players. So, uh, yes, it's obviously brilliant to have uh, a Joss as a starting point and and Parkey as a as a spin bowler of which there aren't too many in the domestic pool of players. So it's a really nice starting point to have two gun players that we can build around. But I think that's the beauty of the tournament that, that pretty much every team has had that opportunity to to lock in two great local players and a test player. Now you kind of talked about which grounds you might be playing out of the tournament. I think it's it's quite well known that Old Trafford is a ground where Lancashire have used home advantage in T20s for quite a while. And just a, a team that are very, very good at home. I think when we look at it, it looks like you've gone about creating this squad to really dominate at home. You've got some really explosive opening batters to kind of go out there and score runs quickly in the power play. You've got the likes of Tom Hartley, Colin Ackerman, Matt Parkinson, who are good spinners for that kind of that turning slow pitch. Was there, I guess, an indication that you really wanted to be dominant at Old Trafford and know that you can boss your home conditions? And how much of a how much of a part did that play into creating your team? Yeah, definitely. It always amazes me um, around the world how few sides play well at home. It's obviously something that's quite well documented that we at Lancashire know how to play at home. Um, the players are very comfortable with it. We set up a strategy for it and it we do have a very good record at home. So it's definitely something that we look to replicate both in the style of players that we've gone looking for and how we're looking to sort of set up as a whole team. Because as I say, it, it amazes me. You look at so many teams around the world who have such poor records at home. And frankly, I've I've worked in one of those in Brisbane Heat that <laughs> had a shocking record at the Gabba. And it always amazed me how many meetings I sat in where people were going, why are we losing at home? Why is it that we go away to these small grounds and we smash everybody? And then when we play at home on a big pitch, we lose. It, it wasn't rocket science. They just needed to play on smaller boundaries. But those kind of things are, are really simple, but often overlooked. Um, and it's something that we've definitely looked at to say, we want to dominate our home games. Let's have options in our squad so that we can take on games away under different conditions. But we've got to be trying to win more than 50% of our home games. Yeah, you're, um, you mentioned about picking players to play at home, and obviously that is a, a huge advantage. But Simon Katic, head coach, has spoken a lot about creating a, a team identity and the kind of core value that is in keeping with, I guess, Lancashire and, and Manchester as a whole. How much of that comes into your, your thinking? Yeah, I think we've, we've got to have some kind of identity as a team. You can't turn up and play a totally different game plan home and away. But there's still there's going to be differences within the same game plan for how you can adjust slightly. For example, when we go away to Trent Bridge, there's no point playing the exact same game plan that we play at Old Trafford. It's not going to go well. So it is something that we, we've got a sort of starting point of how we'd like to go about things as a side, some of which are going to be applicable home and away. But we've then got to adjust, and that's partly down to individuals needing to adjust their game on the day. 
Yeah, you mentioned earlier on that you had a couple of replacement players penciled in should players have to drop out, which has obviously happened. Did you end up getting the replacement players that you wanted? And was that a bit of a challenge to organise? Because I imagine it was quite a, a short turnaround given the circumstances. Yeah, obviously we've had to replace a lot of people. And part of the challenge around that has been uh, at what stage we've known that the overseas players were were not coming. So part of the challenge there is that now we're at a stage where all three aren't coming and we've had to replace all three, knowing which kind of player you're after around the world doesn't necessarily fit in with the timing of finding out which of your three weren't coming. And then obviously domestic players all has to be sort of meshed around what overseas players you're getting because we haven't necessarily gone like for like largely down to the quality of of what's available so to be honest the bigger challenge was balancing everybody at once given the different timings of it some people we knew weren't coming two months ago some of which we only found out three or four weeks ago and trying to fit those around whilst also beating other teams to domestic signings before the wildcard draft was a bit of a challenge so some some people we had to jump on a little bit earlier than you might have liked to, not knowing what was going on elsewhere. But I'm pretty happy with who we've got, to be honest. Um, I don't think we've missed out on much, both in terms of our overseas. We've got three great overseas coming over now. Um, So I don't think we've lost out particularly, but also our domestic replacements. We've got some of our key targets. So really happy with that. Yeah, it, it must have been very daunting to think, like, how do we replace Casigo, Rabada and Nicholas Poran? It's not, an, it's not an easy thing to do, I guess. But Lockie Ferguson is somebody who's had a lot of success in T20 cricket and has done well while he's been in England. And obviously we know how destructive Colin Monroe is at the top of the order. Those guys seem to be people who can really slot into your team straight away. I guess when you knew you couldn't get these absolute superstars, not that Lockie Ferguson isn't a superstar, did you kind of factor in the fact that, okay, we know these guys can fill these roles very well and we know they'll fit our game plan as well as possible? Yeah, I mean, I think Lockie Ferguson probably deserves to be in that that genuine superstar category. And I think that's potentially that he, he hasn't had the game time in a couple of major tournaments that a Rabada has and maybe doesn't have the profile in Red Bull cricket that Rabada does. But we were definitely looking at Lockie beforehand. Uh, the fact that we happened to get Rabada in that draft obviously would have been exciting, but I don't think we've lost anything in, in taking Ferguson. He offers a slightly different set of skills to Rabada and that's something that we've then adjusted for um, in getting Carlos Brathwaite. But at the same time, he's ticking a lot of the same boxes. So certainly something that we were very happy with. As I say, we were looking at him the first time round anyway. Mm-hmm. With Colin Munro, he offers obviously a slightly different plan to Puran, but he also ticks a lot of boxes in terms of the flexibility that we wanted out of our batting lineup. And it partly sits around what our domestic players have been able to offer over the last uh, 12 and 24 months. Uh, obviously, it's a long time since that first draft now, and some people have progressed in different areas. So Colin definitely fits around what we're looking to do with that, yeah. 
I guess obviously the overseas were, were big names, but the loss of Harry Gurney to retirement must have been quite a hit as, as well, because we know how effective he's been, not only in the T20 Blast in England, but also across the world. He's had very good big bash over the last couple of years. So obviously been able to replace him with Ollie Robinson, who's again a player who offers a very different skill set, more of a new ball bowler, I guess, in T20 cricket than a death bowler that Harry Gurney is. But how much of how much of a miss will Harry Gurney be? Because I know how how much experience he brings and how effective he can be at the death. Yeah, I mean, let's not get away from it. Harry Gurney would have been an exceptional player. To my mind, probably the best English death bowler of the last decade. So we were very excited to draft him. Obviously, really disappointing for him that he's going to end up missing out on the tournament um, because of having to retire. But yeah, equally, we are excited to have Ollie Robinson on board. He offers a different set of skills, as you said. So we're obviously going to use him in a different role. But again, we've been able to adjust for that because of having different uh, overseas players. So we've just sort of shifted roles around a little bit. But we think Ollie already has a great set of T20 skills, but he's also one that we're looking at for a year or two's time knowing that he can really grow into this role. And when I look at your side, it, it, it is so explosive. And we, we think you've got a really quality outfit. And you've got players like Phil Salt at the top of the order, who's really explosive. Joe Clark, who's really explosive at the top of the order. Again, Colin Monroe. You've got a lot of really powerful hitters, like Jamie Overton, Carlos Brathwaite, down the order. It feels like you guys are really going to go on the attack. Do you think that that's uh, no, a strategy that might infiltrate T20 cricket more with the, I don't know, the 100 ball format being even shorter? you think teams are going to attack even more? Uh, and do you think there are other kind of tactics or trends that we might see translate into the shortest format when the, once the 100's kind of settled in? Uh, yeah, I think it, it probably goes a little bit both ways. The, the Blast, I think, this year is the highest scoring tournament of all time. Uh, in terms of run rate. So you're going to see a lot of people who are used to that game plan are coming off the back of having done it in 2020 cricket and are going to take that into the 100. I think the the way that it will probably change things will be how much uh, is taken on board going back to counties. So at the moment, for example, you see uh, a lot of teams, if they lose wickets early, will really slow down, rebuild, and try and get up to an okay total that nine times out of ten loses them the game anyway. I think with it being shortened to 100 balls, you're going to see a lot of teams lose wickets early and keep going out of necessity because they can't afford to spend 30 balls rebuilding. And I think you'll quite possibly see that coming back then into 2020 cricket afterwards as people realise actually it is worth us taking that risk of being bowled out for 80 because we're actually going to be able to put a decent total on which gives us a better chance of winning the game in the long run. So things like that I think might eke back in. I think things like going after boundaries is something that's been pretty well known for a while. We're quite lucky that We've got coaches who get on board that at Lancashire, but it's not something that every county gets on board as much as they potentially should. So having some of those players and 
some of the coaches working within those setups going back to counties you might see slightly more progressive thinking going forward there as well do you feel there's an issue maybe then with certain coaches at certain counties and clubs who are a bit more resistant to the data and and applying that to what they're doing yeah i mean obviously for me it's it's more an anecdotal thing because um working at lancashire as i say uh, we've been a very good t20 team for a while and uh, the coaches know how to coach that the players are, are very aware of it so it's it's not trying to change anything particularly there but speaking to other analysts that have struggled to to get that message across of of the importance of of boundary hitting particularly some that play on quite small grounds at home anyway so there definitely are coaches out there that are resistant to that i think the reality is that because uh counties are three formats uh people who build squads for county sides have to be able to have proper red ball cricketers in there amongst the white ball cricketers and some of those players just don't have the skill set to go and walk out and hit two of the first five balls for a boundary so that's always going to be a challenge at a lot of uh, at a lot of counties but there definitely are people out there who are slightly resistant to to building a proper t20 squad so looking at the other 100 sides and i i don't know if you can answer this if you can't absolutely fair enough of course but is there another side you reckon they've done a good recruitment that's a strong side yeah definitely to be honest i was talking to one of the other analysts not that long ago and and we were both saying that one of the great things of the tournament is that you look at every single squad and you could easily write a script for them to win it and you could easily write a script for them to totally fall apart and finish last there's no side that i think couldn't finish at either end there are some that i look at and think yeah they've got this a little better than others obviously a lot of people are jumping on the southern brave bandwagon not totally and utterly convinced there i think the the fact that trent rockets had first pick in and managed to secure rashid khan given how many people have dropped out of the tournament since that's a pretty big one for them um and i think the amount of knots players in that team that know how to play well at trent bridge is going to be quite a big factor for them so i think they'll be one of the teams to beat but honestly i i think any side could easily win it um there's match winners in every team so everyone's got to be respected well, thank you very much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. And we think within the originals have got a good squad and you guys have got a good chance. So thank you for giving us the time. One final question for you, though, Max. I read today that Gary Kirsten of the Welsh Fire is taking the entire squad on a massive hike through the Brecon Beacons. Is something similar happening with the originals? Is uh, Simon Katchich organising a big walk down the Carnforth Canal? Is, is something exciting happening there? Well, our first game's in London, so we're meeting in London. So if we're going off on a trek around Wales, it's going to be a hell of a bus trip. But um, <laughs> not to my knowledge. Um, I think we're having some kind of team-building event on the first day, but I don't think there's any any huge hikes planned. Uh, no running around London for a scavenger hunt or anything like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously, it is going to be an interesting challenge gelling together as a team where we meet four days before the first game. But yeah, looking forward to it. 
Perfect. Well, thank you very much for taking the time, Max. We really appreciate it and best of luck for the tournament. No worries. Thank you very much. That was fascinating. We were really excited to chat to Max about the Manchester Originals and his role with them because me and Charlie both felt that that roster of the Originals was constructed with a very specific philosophy in mind. And Max really confirmed that to us. And it was a really interesting chat. And uh, we really appreciated his time. Hopefully we'll have him back on the podcast later in the summer, maybe after the tournament, after the originals have had their first season to kind of check in, see how he went. But yeah, it was fascinating. We really enjoyed having Max on. We've got loads of other great podcasts out there as well. We had a chat with the Birmingham Phoenix analyst, Dan Weston. We've got some team previews for the 100 and we've got some player interviews coming up very soon. So I can't tell you who they are yet, but we are really, really excited. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast though you can check us out on twitter at podcast 100 there's loads of great content there and please rate review and subscribe to the podcast it would mean a lot to us it would help us out so thank you very much for listening to the 100 podcast we'll speak to you next time